This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome back to the Knowledge at Wharton podcast. I'm Rachel Kipp, Associate Editorial Director of the Knowledge at Wharton website. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about advice giving. When people give advice, they probably assume that it's going to help the person they give advice to. But new research by Wharton's Behavior Change for Good initiative actually finds that the advice giver benefits as well. With us is Lauren S. Christ Winkler. She's a former Wharton postdoc who's currently a postdoc at the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business. Lauren, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for inviting me. So talk to me a little bit. So this all stems from research about goals and helping people achieve their goals. So can you talk a little bit about what prior research says about some of the common things that we do to help people achieve their goals and why they don't always quite work the way we think? Yeah. So uh, I myself began as one of those researchers and I think the, the status quo is to design interventions um, as scientists to communicate our knowledge and teach people in the world of business, kids in schools, uh, you know, people who are struggling with a host of self-regulatory goals, knowledge that we have about how you can more effectively achieve. And I started off that way, designing interventions and running focus groups and in the process of interacting with the people who I was trying to help, realized that they actually had a ton of knowledge. Um, So this baseline assumption that people are not achieving to the level that they could because they lack knowledge seemed to sort of be a hole in that. Um, It seemed like that wasn't really the full story. Um, So for example, I was uh, running a study with a bunch of students who were trying to do better on the LSAT. And in addition to communicating to them all of these strategies and ideas that that we had come up with in our research lab, I started asking people, what do you do to motivate yourself? Like, what are the most effective strategies and techniques that you know that really work for you? Um, And over and over again, I was just amazed by how sophisticated people are. Like, these are not people who are earning PhDs in motivational psychology the way I was. And yet they really seem to be the experts in their own motivational topography and and really knowing what they could do to push their own buttons. So one student stands out because I thought he was just brilliant. So he told me that when he wanted to study for the LSAT, he had already decided on Vanderbilt, really wanted to be a student there. And he he lived 45 minutes away, so he could have studied in his house. But he said he realized that every day if he drove the 45 minutes to the cafe across the street from the Vanderbilt Law School, his studying improved. He was focused. He would look out the window and see the law school and and refocus. Uh, and so, like, I, I never would have suggested that to him. Um, yet, yet people seem to have these customized strategies that 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 would work, work really well. Um, and so it kind of led to the insight that, well, maybe when people are struggling with goal achievement, what they lack is not really knowledge. It's the motivation to put their knowledge into action, um, which led to this sort of counterintuitive idea that, well, well, if people are struggling with goals, maybe they'd benefit as much or even more from from giving advice to other people um, than from receiving it. So in the literature previously, I mean, is there evidence that advice giving all does benefit the giver in general? I think there's a lot of work on the benefits to the recipient. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some lay programs like uh, like Alcoholics Anonymous, which sort of has baked into their program the notion that in addition to receiving help, you're also a sponsor of, of a rookie in the program. But I'm not really aware of research that systematically looks at the benefits of giving advice. 
and giving information, particularly when it's something that you yourself struggle with. So I think it's a pretty counterintuitive idea that if you're a smoker and you can't quit smoking, that I would go up to you and say, hey, could you please advise somebody else? Right. Although it seems like from what you said from the people you've talked to, it's like we may not be experts in, you know, nudging or incentive giving or how to design an incentive, but we might be experts about ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think um, people do sort of know in many ways what works best for them. Um, And I I think it still remains sort of an open question as to why advice giving works. But one of our our primary uh, hypotheses, and we've actually gathered some evidence for this, is that it really builds your confidence. Like you imagine people who are constantly over 20 years trying to lose weight and repeatedly failing to, to achieve that goal. It saps you of your confidence. Um, And the notion that suddenly you're put in the position, like someone asks you if you have useful information and presumes that you do, um, that could raise your confidence. The act of giving advice forces you to focus on the things that you already know how to do versus things you don't, the things that are in your control versus the things that aren't. For all of these reasons, we think that advice giving probably is a confidence booster um, that that raises people's motivation, giving them what they really need to achieve their goals and, and what's really holding them back. So essentially, I mean, maybe it's something that's often been a source of shame for you or where you're embarrassed about it, whether it's losing weight or stopping smoking. And suddenly you're taking that problem that maybe is a source of bad feelings and making it into a source of good feelings because you're suddenly you're being looked to as an expert. Exactly. Um, And I think even more so, so definitely in those populations, uh, we then also went and studied this in kids in school. Um, And even the kids who aren't necessarily feeling bad about themselves, I think it's a totally novel experience in today's educational world that you'd go up to a 15-year-old in school and the teacher would say, hey, we think you have really useful knowledge. Could you share it with someone else? Like the whole structure of education is that these kids are the recipients. They're sitting in class, taking notes, receiving knowledge. Um, And so I think in general, it was just a very novel experience for a kid, um, regardless of the degree to which they're failing or not failing, to be suddenly appointed as an advisor. And like you said, just make them feel so good that, wow, I have some, I have something to give over to somebody else. So like you said, you tested this with high school students. Can you talk a little bit about how you designed the experiment and kind of what you were looking, what kind of results you found and what you were looking to sort of see in terms of how they were impacted by giving advice? Yeah, absolutely. So this was a large-scale randomized control trial that was run with close to 2,000 high school students. Um, And the scale of this was only made possible by uh, partnering with the Behavior Change for Good Initiative and the Character Lab, both at the University of Pennsylvania, um, with really just like made this research frictionless and and, and facilitated these partnerships in a way that typically I think it's very hard for researchers to test questions like this at scale. Um, So so we recruited about 2,000 students and randomize them to one of two conditions. So either they're in the treatment, which is that they give advice to younger students, or they're in the control condition, which is basically practice as usual, and they didn't receive anything in particular. And uh, the program was run online. So teachers take their students to the local computer lab and students sign in. And there was this very uh, aesthetically pleasing, graphically designed program that students walk themselves through And they're basically asked to to be coaches. Um, We say, help us help other students. And in the treatment, they they go through a series of exercises that that try to elicit their advice. Uh, So some multiple choice questions that ask them to advise on uh, optimal study locations. There are some open-ended questions where they're literally writing notes of advice to younger students. 
And the whole experience, was, it was short, um, but it was really meant to, to make them feel like bona fide advisors, like, like they had information to give and we were getting it and we were actually then going to give it to younger students. And uh, the, the hypothesis was that this act of stepping into the advisor would raise the student's confidence, increase their motivation. And uh, it was a pretty high bar, but we were hoping and expecting that it would in turn raise the student's achievement levels. And so what we did was we, we uh, collected the student's grades over the entire academic quarter and wanted to see whether this intervention, which was delivered to students at the beginning of the, the third quarter, would increase their grades. Um, and it did. Uh, we, we specifically pre-registered and predicted in advance that it would raise their grades in a target class. So this is a class in which students uh, self-report that they're most motivated to improve, as well as math. Uh, so math is a subject that's notoriously difficult to, to change student achievement. Um, and also a subject in which many students lack confidence. And so we thought this advice-giving intervention that's specifically supposed to work by boosting the student's sense of confidence would be effective in math. Um, and, and we did find that at the end of the semester, the students' target grades and their math grades improved relative to students in the control condition. And so that's how you, the control condition was how you knew it wasn't just, oh, maybe they did a new study program in addition to being part of the study, or they got grounded and they had to stay home all the time and study or something yeah, like that. Exactly, right. So it's kind of like the queen bee of research designed a randomized control trial. So the kids who went to the computer lab literally could have been sitting next to someone in the control. The students were randomized when they sat down at the computers. Um, so exactly, that, that was how we, we tested uh, the, the efficacy. And in terms of how much their grades rose, was there an average there in terms of how much they improved while they were participating? Uh, yeah, it was, it was a couple uh, points. So the, the grading scale was between 50 and 100. So basically students who are at 50 are failing out of their classes and 100 is the best you can do. And uh, it was uh, on average students improved like one or two, uh, so one or two grade points. Um, so uh, it's it's not like a you know a huge tremendous effect, um, but I I think it's really noteworthy given the cost of the intervention. So the cost is basically. Right, a marginal cost of zero. Like any school district could implement this. Um, just, just basically, be sent our materials. And unlike many, you know, very intensive, costly programs like tutoring programs that also often have very small, if any, effects. Um, so, so this program is is costless, um, and not only in money but also in time. It was like a, a very brief interaction that students had with the program. I think one interesting direction moving forward would be to look at, you know, like do booster sessions help if you're an advice giver, not just once, but many times. Um, if you interact not just with the computer module, but with an actual younger student, could all of these things increase the efficacy of the program and lead to much stronger effects? So essentially, it's kind of like a mentoring program in that the older students are kind of telling the younger students, well, this is what I've learned in my time here and I think I can help you. A hundred percent. And all of the advice really focused them on motivation, right? It was like, what do you do to stop procrastinating? What would you tell a student who's really not so motivated in school? So it was all about like academic motivation, how to, just like that law school student, right? Asking them, how do you motivate yourself to study for the LSAT? It was really focusing students on like, what do you do when you get home and you don't want to do your homework, right? How do you get yourself to do it? Um, and students have these ingenious strategies that I think sometimes they lack the motivation to put into action. 
action, um, but they have really great ideas about what, what they should be doing. Was there one, I guess, in particular from the student study that you that really stood out to you in terms of what they said? Yeah, so I've, I've done it from piloting with students and also from in this particular study, I've you know, come across a host of different things students say. Um, they're very effective at rewarding themselves. Um, so, you know, the student who has two pages of math problems and really doesn't want to do them and tells me that they'll put a candy at the end of the page. And so each time they go through the problems, they eat a candy. It's like I think they're very in tune to rewards and incentives. Um, there's also very creative students. There's one kid who I often quote who is actually a seventh grader, so a middle school student, who told me very dramatically that he imagines his house is burning down. And if he doesn't finish his homework in time, the, the fire is going to consume the oh my goodness. Yeah, just like really imaginative, right? Like I think psychologists have known for a long time that very young children engage in imaginative play. And they're incredibly creative. Um, and I think talking to students about how they motivate themselves, it just reinforced that that sort of never goes away. I think maybe we channel that imaginative and creative play in specific ways. Um, and I think getting students motivating themselves is definitely one of, one of the roots that goes down. So in terms of like broadening this research a little bit, I mean, what do you think the implications here are for not just high school students or educators, but also in different settings? So, for example, in a business setting, if I'm a manager, could I try and use this? Or even if I'm an individual employee and maybe my company is not going to do this, could I try it as well? Yeah, absolutely. So we expanded because we were interested in that exact question. We wanted to know not just with regards to academic achievement, but a host of self-regulatory goals, like people struggle to lose weight. Um, to control their tempers, to save money, uh, and to motivate themselves in, uh, in the job market. Um, so we actually explored all four of those domains. We recruited people who self-identified that they really struggle to save money, that they really struggle to lose weight, they struggle to control their tempers, and unemployed individuals who are struggling to get a job. And in all of these domains, what we did was we tested whether people were more motivated by giving advice or receiving advice from an expert source. So for example, the people who are trying to lose weight, either they gave advice or they received advice from nutritionists at the Mayo Clinic, which I think is practice as usual. I think typically when people are struggling, they go and they they search around for like, well, what do career experts have to say about what I should be doing on the job market? Or what do nutritionists say about what I should... So, so we were comparing the efficacy of these two things. And overwhelmingly, people said that they were more motivated by giving advice than by receiving advice. Um, and what was especially interesting is that afterwards we recruited people who didn't go through the two activities, but who were predictors. So they looked at somebody else. They were yoked to somebody who had given advice and received advice. They looked at both types of advice and they had to predict which the person would be more motivated by. And overwhelmingly, the effect flips. People say, well, of course, somebody who can't save money, they're going to be more motivated by getting advice from someone at America Saves than by giving advice. So people completely mispredicted the phenomenon. Um, and yet we find is that it's, it's really not confined to kids in school. It's generally when you're struggling with motivation, right, when the problem is not knowledge, uh, you really do seem to benefit more from, from giving advice than from receiving it. So it's almost like instead of looking outward, you need to look inward. To some extent. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. People think that they're they're not achieving because they're lacking something. And often that something is information. Right. It's like I don't have it within me. I have to go to a teacher or an expert or somebody else who can give me what I lack. Um, and to the degree to which you're lacking confidence, it seems like, you know, just being repositioned into the role of a giver versus a receiver can can give you everything you need.
So what's next for this research? Where are you going to go with it next? Yeah, so I'm I'm really excited by the real world implications. So this was basically the, the first um, large field study. Uh, so I, I'd be really excited to repeat it in other domains. Um, I think the, the light touch nature of the intervention really does, does leave this as sort of a proof of concept. Um, and I'm convinced by the concept, but really excited to see the degree to which making the intervention more heavy handed, right? Like more involving uh, could potentially have much, much larger effects, right? So we think that advice giving raises your confidence because it makes you feel like an advisor. And I could think of about a thousand different creative ways to, you know, not just have people sign into a computer program, but really pair them up with somebody, uh, make it a more intensive, long-term advising program, uh, give the advisor feedback on how effective their advice has been and how much they're helping somebody else. Um, So I think all of those things could be done to make it more effective. Um, and I think the other direction is sort of like less less about ecological validity and less about exploring how this can be really effective in the real world and more about understanding the mechanisms behind it, which is sort of more of a researcher question. Um, but but I think to the extent that you, you, you really understand the theory and what's going on, in some sense, that's the most practical thing in the world, because then you can design an intervention and see, well, if it really works by building confidence, then how can we focus on redesigning the intervention to build confidence? Alternatively, if it's really about, you know, when people give advice, they, they suddenly have to formulate concrete plans. If that's really the active ingredient, well, then how can we redesign the intervention to really strengthen that, that piece of it? Um, so I think I'm interested in sort of these twin questions about how can we roll it out in the real world in ways that are really effective, but also at the same time, understanding this seemingly very simple act of giving advice, um, which is actually probably very multi-determined in terms of why it's having an effect and, 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 and how, it, how it impacts people. Lauren, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. You can find all of Knowledge at Wharton's articles, podcasts, and more on our website, which is knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can find all of our podcasts on Apple's podcasting app or your other favorite podcasting platform. If you like what you hear, please leave us a comment or a review. It really does help like-minded folks to find the show. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 